0: Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I'm Ken from Indiana.
1: And I'm Jeremy from Utah. And today we are exploring the new and improved chart, the Keeping Doctrine in Its Place chart. Which you can find at... DoTheology.com
0: slash chart. This might not sound like a super fun conversation, but trust us, this is a very important conversation and you don't want to miss
1: it. Yeah.
0: Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority.
1: Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement.
0: I mean, it's it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not
1: depict an angry God.
0: It's cryptic. It's watered down. It has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel.
1: The most important of all doctrines
0: is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom.
1: All right. So as we anticipate stepping into this conversation, before we do that, just wanted to have a little life update. It's been a little bit since you've heard from us. Want to share a little bit about what's going on in our lives. Jeremy, what's new with you? Oh, well, we have
0: finished our basement at our house, so now we have gone from a three-bedroom, two-bath house to a five-bedroom, three-bath house, and that feels nice. Awesome. We uh, are still waiting to adopt, for those of you who have been listening uh, to our story in that regard. We uh, are just waiting on the Lord's timing. There have been close calls, but nothing yet. Um, Church is going really well, even though... You know, things are still a little weird and different because of the virus. Uh, things overall are going quite well. I'm in the middle of preaching through First Corinthians, finishing up Chapter 5 this Sunday. And um, we're just having a, having a good time out here in the Beehive State. That's the Utah State nickname. I don't think a lot of people know that. They probably think it's called the Mormon State, which is more accurate. Understandable. Not, yeah, yeah, I mean... <laughs> So, so that's what we got going on uh, things are things are going real well always got a lot of irons in the fire but uh, but it's it's going real well What about what about you church planting in Indiana
1: Yeah so it you know I was just thinking the other day about how one of the episodes that we recorded for do theology at the beginning of the whole coronavirus stuff about how you had made the comment in that episode like oh this is almost be like a little time capsule for us to see what was life like back in March of 2020. And it so much feels like a completely different world in so many ways. And well, and to add to
0: that, sorry, I, I know yeah. it's your your update, nope, but that's fine. Um, we are recording this the day after Joe Biden's inauguration, which yeah, <laughs> at, at that time, March of twenty twenty. I'm not sure that Joe Biden was the Democrats' pick yet, but I don't think so. Even even so, I mean, we probably wouldn't have guessed that Joe Biden would be president, and
1: here we are. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's true. I think I think at that time, Trump was probably still considered the favorite to win re-election. So yeah, that's pretty wild. But anyway, I say say all that to say that you know obviously things are things have been unique with uh, with our church planting situation. Trying to continue to do what we can despite the COVID stuff going on in our area. Uh, it's, it's been challenging, but the Lord's been faithful in the midst of that. Um, we've been te- wor- working through some Old Testament books, teaching through Ezra and Nehemiah. And I tell you, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me, the relevancy of God's Word to the moment in which we live. And that remains true for, for the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, so that's been fantastic. Um, my wife and I, we are now expecting our fourth child, so that's really exciting, due in August. So we're we're really excited about that. Are you uh, going to find out the gender? Is that a thing that you guys do? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
1: Are you going to talk about the baby's name beforehand? We we typically don't. We typically save that. Um, most of the time, we don't settle on a name until like a week or two before. Oh, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not really a whole lot to talk about until uh, things get pretty close, usually. But uh, yeah, we usually don't tell anybody until we, we make the... Look who's here! Kind of announcement. So, yeah, that's that. I know people have different uh, different traditions and approaches to that. No, that's just kind of how we've done it. So, yeah, okay. that's what we got going on. I'm I'm still taking classes at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Um The Shepherd's Theological Seminary. The Shepherd's Theological <laughs> Seminary. Located at the Shepherd's Church. It used to be Colonial Baptist. They just changed huh. their name to the Shepherd's Church. Well, how so, about that? How about that? So what classes are you taking right now? I just am working through an intensive one week class right now that's Christian ethics, and then for the spring semester, Greek grammar two. So that's all you need. Yes, that is all I need. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I have been been pretty deliberate about taking one class. I have taken two classes a semester several times, but when I'm taking language classes, it's like okay, one class a semester, and that's about all I can handle mm-hmm. with everything else going on as well. So, yeah. got to
0: know your limits on that—that's mm-hmm. for sure. That's too much money to be wasted on uh, over overloading and all that stuff. So, yes. Awesome. Okay. Well, um, let's talk about this chart. Uh, You guys hopefully know about the chart if you're listening to this. Hopefully you've heard some past episodes where we've referenced the chart, and this is really what our podcast is about. Um, We want to keep doctrine in its place, meaning we want to rightly consider the varying levels of importance with Christian doctrine. And there's a chart that we have to steer that conversation— that outlines primary doctrine, secondary doctrine, and doubtful things. These are truths in Scripture that are definitional to Christianity. Uh, That's primary doctrine. There's convictions about doctrine and about uh, theology that doesn't affect those things which are primary, or that doesn't change those things which are primary, uh, but are still important. And those are secondary. And then there are personal conscience matters, and those are called doubtful things in uh, Scripture. So that's what this chart is about, and that's what we want this episode to be about, is explaining those things in more detail uh, for you. If you listen to season one, we had two episodes per column, the primary doctrine column, the secondary doctrine column, and the doubtful things column each had two episodes per. And we want this to be a one episode recap of that with our new chart and to make specific application to the local church. So that's what this conversation is about today.
1: Yeah, and it might be helpful that if, if you're listening to this uh, when you're and you're in a place and time where you can pull up the chart and look at it while we're talking about it, that's that would probably be really helpful as you listen through this. Do theology.com slash chart and there's the you will see the chart there, but there will also be a link to a a Google Drive document that you can download yourself. You can print it off. You we're making this available to you. Feel free to make copies of this and do whatever you want with it if it's helpful for you in your ministry. But if you're Again, at a place where if you're driving, obviously don't pull up the chart and look at it then. But if you're just sitting in your office someplace or around the house or or in a in a location where this is something that you can look at, do so It'll be helpful as we talk through things today.
0: Yeah, and uh, feel free to share this episode when you share the chart. The chart is made to be shared. It's made to be viewed by lots and lots of people and to facilitate conversations. So if you are using the chart in that way, it could be helpful to send this episode right along with the chart so that uh, someone can get a better understanding of what is being said there. So um, as we consider doctrine, uh, particularly in the church and how this affects uh, your typical Christian going to the their local church. Um, let's just get started in the conversation about primary doctrine. Uh, Ken, you want to introduce the idea of primary doctrine within the context of the Christian and his church?
1: Yeah, so we have primary doctrine, and we have labeled this as these are truths that affect fellowship with others. These are, they impact whether or not we view Another individual as a brother or sister in Christ, as we have defined this column, uh, we have put up this this, uh, this sentence. These a issues m- a new definition. A by new the definition. The way. Or, yeah, yes. that's one of the things we changed. Yes, a reworded definition to hopefully add clarity to what we mean by primary doctrine. These issues define Christianity. Not every doctrine here is an aspect of the gospel, but each one is clearly articulated in scripture and transcends hermeneutics now transcends hermeneutics we should just explain that really quickly uh, give us a definition of hermeneutics
0: yeah so hermeneutics is the, uh, the the most common definition we have for it is the art and science of biblical interpretation so what what that's in reference to is our understanding of what the Bible says and our um, the methods that we use to study the Bible to develop our doctrinal convictions. So when we say that these doctrines transcend hermeneutics, what we're saying is these doctrines are so clear in Scripture that no matter what type of method or approach you have to the Bible, to understanding the words of the Bible, you are going to walk away with these doctrines in hand because the Bible is so clear on these that there's no way that two Christians could actually disagree on them. But all Christians, by definition, agree on these things because Scripture so clearly teaches them.
1: Yeah, and just one additional bit of clarification there, no matter what interpretive grid you're bringing to the table, and we had a whole episode about this as well, but provided that your interpretive grid, your hermeneutics, is... What we would consider a valid hermeneutic, it is it is consistent and non-heretical, right? If if we are if your interpretive grid leads you to deny anything in this primary column, it's not a valid hermeneutical grid. So yeah, I want to make that yeah. For example,
0: if you if you come along and say, the way that I read the Bible, uh, Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, the way that you're reading the Bible is invalid because yes. that fact is so clearly expressed that uh, you you will walk away with that understanding of Christianity if you read the Bible with a valid interpretive method. Mm-hmm. Um, but now if you come away from the Bible and say, you know, uh, I think that tongues is still for today. The gift of tongues is still for today. Uh, we can't look at you and say, well, then you are invalid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we we can't say you're not a real Christian then because we believe the gifts have ceased. Um, there's room for interpretive differences with something like that. But we're saying for these doctrines and the primary doctrine char- uh, column, each of these is so clear in Scripture that no matter what your approach is, as long as it's a valid approach, no matter what it is, you will walk away believing these things.
1: Yeah, and, and so much has been made about, you know, people people often talk about the differences between primary doctrine and secondary to- doctrine in the context of wanting to have grace with individuals regarding secondary issues, but we also want to be clear that when it does come to the primary doctrines thing, that column, that we that's the principle as it says there on the chart. We want to hold fast to these things. The principle is that we hold fast to what God holds fast to, and we're willing to be divisive over these issues. We're, we're willing to fight for these things. You know, if someone's holding a gun to your head, yeah, I believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Like, that's something that we should be able to affirm biblically because of the clarity that Scripture speaks about these things.
0: And for each of these columns, primary, secondary, and doubtful things, we have verse references, and we have passages that we list, and there are six passages that we reference in the primary doctrine column. So uh, if you have access to the chart or if you're going to get access to the chart, you can look these up and see where scripture talks about this, that we are to hold fast to what God holds fast to. And we've got Paul, Peter, and John there uh, testifying to
1: these doctrines that we are to hold fast to them. Yeah, and so within this column, now as we can, we're just kind of again providing a summary of what's here. We have subdivided the primary column into three sections. First is issues of the gospel, gospel message issues, things that if you're having a gospel conversation with someone, you're sharing the good news of Christ with someone, these are things that need to be a part of that gospel presentation. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be believing these things. These are things like the sinfulness of man, the unique nature of Christ, you know, that's referring to things like his virgin birth, his perfection, things like that. Substitutionary... I did, that, he's sorry. God. <laughs> he's God, yeah, he's God, <laughs> the divine yeah. nature of Christ. Yeah. Uh, the bodily resurrection and justification by faith alone, these are so critical to a gospel conversation that you really can't lead someone to faith in Christ to be a Christian without communicating these truths to them. So these are these are central and core to the gospel not in, in, and to the whole of, of Christianity.
0: And as we wrote in the definition there that not every doctrine in this column is an aspect of the gospel message. So we have the gospel message section within primary doctrine, and the next section is called dogma. So though though these things are not part of the gospel message, they are still things that we hold with a tight grip. We mm-hmm. don't let go of these things. We don't debate these things. We don't say, oh, there's wiggle room on these things. There is zero wiggle room on these things. Some Something like the inerrancy of Scripture, that Scripture is without error and it has full authority over... Over our lives because it's God's word. Okay, now that might not be something that you include in your gospel presentation, um, and it's not something that someone has to know in order to be saved. However, once someone is saved, once someone is born again, that person needs to be taught this, and when that person hears of this doctrine and is taught that doctrine, he or she cannot deny that doctrine and still be called a Christian. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if someone says, I'm a Christian, but I deny biblical inerrancy and biblical authority... Well, you're not really a Christian. Uh, maybe you n- had never heard that teaching before, and maybe it's going to take you time to learn it and to understand it more. But if you're going to outright deny it, you cannot rightly call yourself a Christian. In the same is so for the bodily return of Christ, the future judgment that the Lord will determine uh, in the end, who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. It is the Lord's judgment, and that is a re- reality for every human being. Uh Things such as God is both infinite and personal at the same time. He is both transcendent and imminent. That man has the image of God, and that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. These things we are dogmatic about, though they aren't necessarily part and parcel to the good news, they are part and parcel to Christianity at a definitional level.
1: Yes. And finally, the third section of the primary doctrine column is that of practice. So there are things that that are definitional to Christianity in terms of doctrines, in terms of things that we must believe and affirm, but there's also things that Scripture is crystal clear about, about how we ought to be living our lives, and the practice of those things needs to be present for a, a Christian to be rightly identified as a Christian. And there's there's a whole list of things here. We're not going to go through all of them, but things just biblical ethics and morality. We need to affirm those things. If you're going to be choosing to live contrary to what the Bible says we ought to do, and yet call yourself a Christian, there's a problem there. There's a disconnect there that needs to be addressed. Commitment to the local church, uh, the necessity of things like baptism, communion, evangelism, giving, prayer, etc. Like these things are, Scripture commands us to be engaged in these things. Now, how we go about being engaged in those things, we have uh, room for that in the secondary column chart for particulars of, say, how we observe baptism and communion, etc. But the fact is clear that we do need to be engaged in baptism and communion. So, those things are part of the practice, c- practice section of the primary doctrine column.
0: <laughs> Very good, <laughs> That's yeah. That's a
1: mouthful to say right there at the end. <laughs> it is.
0: Yeah, so um, you know, there's a note at the bottom of the chart that says these lists, uh, or the lists above rather, are not intended to be exhaustive. And as we just went through these things, yeah, these these aren't exhaustive lists for what is primary. There's there are other things that could be added there for sure, um, but we want to list enough to give you an idea of what this is about and what kind of things are to be considered foundational and definitional to the faith. So, we hope that clears things up for the primary doctrine section. And there is an aspect too in which the primary doctrine section limits the other two
1: sections, the other two columns. You want to you want to explain that, Ken? Sure. Well, there's a there's that line across the top of the chart that says Primary doctrines should not be violated by other doctrines. These objective truths inform and limit convictions and conscious matters. So we had a, a whole episode uh, of Do Theology back in season two that I think we titled The 3D Look at the Chart or something to that effect, where we discussed how when we when it comes to secondary doctrine and the, the doubtful things, these things that are matters of, of the conscience— that we need to view those things through the lens of primary doctrine. So almost like if you could hold this sheet of paper up and hold it with the primary doctrine closest to your face, and so as you're looking down the chart, as you're making decisions about convictions and and conscience matters from the secondary and doubtful things columns, those issues ought to be colored by and, uh, and informed by the issues in the primary column, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yep, that's it. So you cannot believe something that you consider secondary that then violates something that's primary um, or something that is a doubtful thing. A personal conscience matter. You can't have a conviction about something and say this is right and good and I'm going to do it if it violates very clearly something that's in the primary section. So, for example... The relationship that you have with alcohol, you've got some wiggle room on that. And some people will say, don't drink alcohol at all. Others will say, it's fine to drink alcohol. Where everybody has to stop is with drunkenness. Mm-hmm. That falls into the category of morality. That's in the primary section. That, that idea that Christians are not to be drunk, that idea transcends hermeneutics, it transcends any kind of interpretive method we would approach the Bible with, therefore we uh, submit to that reality and say, whatever relationship you have with alcohol, it can't be this, drunkenness. Mm -hmm. But uh, up until that point, there's wiggle room for your conscience.
1: And the same is true in issues of doctrinal issues in the secondary column, where there might be some differences of opinion on some things within secondary columns but or secondary column issues, but if we take some of those issues too far, they can be they can go to heretical extremes, and and this is true of a number of the issues within the secondary column. But before we get to that, do we just want to define and and break down a little bit what we mean by the secondary column?
0: Yeah. So um, to give you a, a recap, primary doctrine is truth that affects fellowship with others, truth that affects fellowship. Secondary doctrine is convictions that affect ministry with others. So it's not truth affecting fellowship, but it's convictions affecting ministry with others. And for a definition, we have, These issues are areas of disagreement among Christians, and the interpretation depends on hermeneutics. These are rooted in church history and, at times, will result in denominational divides. So if you're wondering, uh, why is it that we've got Baptists, Presbyterians, non-denominational, all these different types of uh, churches hanging around? Well, it's because we differ on secondary doctrine, not because we differ on primary doctrine, but because we differ on secondary doctrine. This is a conversation that I have to have all the time in Utah because the foundation of the Mormon faith is that... The entirety of Christianity went apostate, and that was evidenced by all the different denominations. Joseph Smith taught that every creed and was an abomination to the Lord, and they couldn 't all agree they all that the church had just totally went uh, apostate, and it 's evidenced by the fact they had nothing that they agreed on. Well, that's actually not the case. They all agreed on the gospel. <laughs> They're Christians because they agreed on the gospel. They had dogmatic doctrines they agreed on. There was uh, a ton within their their practice as Christians that was agreed upon as definitional to their uh, their faith, not their denomination, but to their faith. But when they got into Matters of secondary importance, where the Bible does leave room for differences, that's where they differed. And we have to have a proper understanding of that. Otherwise, we're going to walk away thinking the same things that Joseph Smith thought. Well, oh, Christianity's all messed up. Look, those Presbyterians and Baptists can't figure out who's supposed to be baptized. They just keep fighting over it. So Christians have no unity. Well, that's that's just not the case. You have to have a proper perspective of these things.
1: Yeah, and, and it's how we apply that is broad and varied in, in different contexts. You know, I'm, as a church planter, one of the things that, that we consider when we are looking at an area is whether or not there are other faithful churches proclaiming the gospel in that area. And we take that into an account in, with the ratio to the population, et cetera. And of course, we're going to find churches and we're going to find churches that have differences on secondary doctrine. But the main concern that we're looking for is areas of, of that primary column, or whether or not they are actual gospel-proclaiming, Bible-teaching churches that have a firm commitment to biblical inerrancy and authority, that proclaim the gospel of Christ, etc., and if, if there is that, then you know, we're going to try to target areas that have the lack of churches mm-hmm. that are faithful in that way.
0: Yeah, and this, this understanding of the difference between primary and secondary doctrine, it's really important for new believers to get this. Uh, so someone who like me, I wasn't raised in the church. I figured these things out as the years went on. I actually made, uh, this, the first draft of this chart in year five of being a Christian, as I was figuring these things
1: out. And, um, you were so for new Christians. You were born again to be a dispensationalist. That's making right. Making charts right away. <laughs>
0: I was born again, not with a silver spoon in my in my mouth, but with a chart in my hand. <laughs> uh, uh, so um for new new Christians, this is really important. This chart should be really useful for them, but also for people who are switching churches. Mm, um, mm. For someone who maybe has been in one context for a long time and has moved and is looking for a new church, or ha- has an issue with their current church and needs to go to a different church in the area, you have to have these things figured out. Otherwise, you are going to have a crisis of conscience. You're going to have a crisis of faith, potentially, because you've elevated things that are secondary up to the status of primary, and perhaps you'll find out you never really understood primary doctrine in the way that you should, and everything's just been so mixed up. So we want this to help you in your Mm. thinking, in your church, that you can understand what is most important and keep it there, and what's not as important and keep it there. Uh, Don't let those two things mingle.
1: um, Or switch places, rather. Right. But at the same time, this doesn't mean that just because an issue could be identified as being in the secondary column, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to find that you can be members of the same church with somebody who differs on something in that secondary column. In fact, this is why in our definition it says that these often result in denominational divides. Well, there's a reason for that, and there are good reasons for that, and we're not saying that, well, these denomination divides shouldn't happen. No, we recognize that there's good reasons for those divides, but... This is. I think this leads us into our principle, right? You are to take a stance on these things. Yes.
0: That's what the principle says: mm-hmm. is take a stance on these, but keep fellowship with believers who disagree. So yes, you you need to study this out for yourself and figure out where you stand on this because the Bible talks about each one of these issues. And you need to have a personal understanding of where you are with these issues. Um, that takes work and you can get really fired up about these things. I, I have, I am, and I will (laughs) continue (laughs) to be fired up about these things. Um, so, so you should too. Uh, but as the principle says, keep fellowship with believers who disagree. That doesn't mean just pretend like they don't matter Mm -hmm. and go to church wherever you want and pretend like secondary doctrine doesn't matter at all. It, It matters greatly and it shows up in a variety of ways, but we're talking on the big scale of things just because you go to this church and these other believers go to that church. That doesn't mean Uh, like that James White quote at the end of our intro, that doesn't mean you kick them out of the kingdom, uh, they are still brothers and sisters in Christ. You will be ruling and reigning with them for all eternity. You are going to be enjoying one another's company for all eternity. So start now, (laughs) might as well start now because it's going to be going on for a long time, but you may end up in different churches on Sunday mornings for these very reasons.
1: Yeah, and and again we have references uh, that talk about these different things and we encourage you to look up some of those scripture references that you find on the chart as well to to see some of the context, the biblical context for and justification for why there is truly secondary doctrine. And then we have again, we have subdivided this column as well as we have given examples, again, not an exhaustive list, but examples of what is secondary doctrine. Sub- and, and
0: it's new that we yeah. broke this into categories. It didn't have subcategories before. It was all just one list. Uh, but we thought these two categories, it was important to break it out that way.
1: Yeah, it's real helpful because some of these things are, the, these are doctrinal things that that we gave it the label worldview shaping. Like it really does affect and change how you interact with one another, how you interact with the world. Like these things make a, a legitimate practical difference in your life things like age of the earth you now we could have a whole conversation about whether or not that <laughs> belongs in the secondary column because i think there's a lot of a lot of conservatives that would would have issues yeah. with that being secondary but it makes a difference yeah. right calvinism and arminianism your yeah. viewpoint on that is going to affect how you interact with people and it's it's just it's gonna affect your faith in different ways.
0: It's gonna affect how you pray for your lost yes. family members mm-hmm. and your lost neighbors. It's going to affect your evangelism in some ways and your apologetics approach. It's yeah, yeah
1: it affects a lot. Yes. Covenant theology, dispensationalism, those issues as systems of theology it It's not just big words and and heady things like this stuff. These things actually do have real world implications and consequences.
0: Like, do you have an Israeli flag next to the American flag (laughs) in the worship auditorium center zone?
1: Not where my mind was going, but yes. (laughs) Uh, and there's a few other things that we consider uh, worldview shaping your view of the end times. Sometimes that's oftentimes connected with your system of theology, especially if you're dispensational. That's going to affect your view of the end times. Well, but and sorry,
0: I don't want to keep like no, stopping okay. you yeah. each time. But but I just keep thinking of things like right now and all the craziness that we're going through as a human population, not just an American mm-hmm. population, a human population. If you're post-millennial and you believe the world is getting better, you are seeing this so differently than pre who believe the world is getting worse. It's so pretty yeah, bizarre. It is. I mean, even though we obviously can still stand together and sing the same songs of hope and grace and the gospel and, and all of these things, when we go out and live our lives, we're just seeing the world so differently.
1: hmm Yeah. So, And that's that's part of our point, is that it shapes your worldview, like it changes and it affects how you view things. Lordship, salvation, and free grace, that's going to affect how you view things like assurance, how you view, uh, how you uh, understand a, a credible profession of faith, what is your understanding of repentance and its relationship to the gospel, things of that nature, and things of sign gifts, the charismatic gifts of of tongues and healings and things like that, it, it affects how you view things. And, and again, so many of these things, in fact, I'd say the majority, if not all, of these doctrines in this worldview-shaping category has extremes that, taken too far, you are violating primary doctrine and you are in heresy land. And, and so we recognize that. Like, there's, there's extremes of, of lordship salvation and free grace theology on both ends of that. The extremes... Are heresy, and have abandoned historic Christianity. So we're, we're recognizing that things can go that extreme, Calvinism and Arminianism. There's extremes there that violate primary doctrine.
0: Yeah, and it, I mean, obviously with Age of Earth, the big concern yes. people have is, oh, well, that's evolution. Mm-hmm. Well, not necessarily. That's why it's there. If you incorporate evolution into that, now you're violating primary doctrine. You're yes. violating the clear teaching of creation in the, in the Bible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sign gifts. If you believe that the Bible, if you truly believe the Bible isn't sufficient, therefore, we need more books of the Bible to um, uh, live a sufficient, equipped Christian life, God is still giving revelation that's the same as the revelation that's in the Bible. If you believe that, now you're denying the sufficiency of Scripture, and that's a primary issue. And right. these things can be really nuanced, and we have to talk through those things. Uh, usually where, like, charismatics end up is saying, well, the revelation, this is the the Sam Storms quote from the intro, uh, not all divine revelation has the same authority, right? <laughs> That's them trying to maintain the sufficiency of Scripture yep. while also holding to God still reveals things today. We say that's inconsistent, but we say, hey, I'm glad he says it at least, because um, if he's saying God is still giving revelation on par with the Bible, uh, that, mm-hmm. that's a major issue.
1: And that's why that, that line at the top of the chart is so critical. Primary doctrines should not be violated by other doctrines. These objective truths inform and limit convictions—that's the secondary column—and conscious matters—that's doubtful things. So when we are talking about these things being in the secondary column, yeah, there are extremes that can violate primary doctrine. But if we are keeping doctrine in its place and properly recognizing the primary doctrine for what it is— That is going to serve as a guardrail for us when we get into the secondary column and keep us from getting to those heretical extremes. The second
0: subcategory in secondary doctrine, we've got worldview shaping that we just walked through, and then methodology. And the methodology section is really your Sunday morning experience, your day-to-day church life experience that will vary not just from denomination to denomination, but truly from church to church. Even if they are of the same doctrinal statement, a lot of these things will vary church to church, which is really fun and interesting to learn as you uh, visit different churches. But these things uh, include church government and membership, so uh, single elder model, model, plurality of elders, um, a pastor with deacons, uh, there are a variety of ways that churches do this. And and do they have formal membership mm. or, or not? Do they have like covenantal sign on the dotted line membership? Do they have no membership? Mm. It, it'll vary from church to church. Expectations
1: for members. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And actual accountability for members. Uh, ooh.
1: Now you're Different stepping episode. on toes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: contextualization is on there. That is how much does the church adapt to the culture around it? Not in doctrine, but in style, for instance. So um, perhaps you're going to a uh, a church in the hood and maybe it smells like the hood. Uh, when you go to the church, that means they've really contextualized to their culture. Or maybe you walk in and it smells like a country club in a subdivision somewhere in the Midwest instead of being urban. Well, they did not contextualize very well, right? (laughs) There are different levels to which churches can contextualize. Did you not like that example? I
1: I did not expect you to go the direction of smells, but it's okay.
0: (laughs) I like to do that with denominations. Like certain denominations have a smell. Southern Baptists have a smell. You know this.
1: So, so when you first said smell, I thought you meant like literal smell, oh, not, no, no, not no, like, no. yeah, okay, I'm tracking that. Yeah, yeah. The, the smell. <laughs> I was like, the
0: Southern Baptist the smell is a strong smell.
1: one. What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, Church, uh,
0: <laughs> denominations and stuff have smells. That's what I say yeah. anyway. flavor. Uh, so a lot of
1: most people talk about it in terms of flavor, but oh, yeah. Yeah, I like smell better. Okay. <laughs> Another,
0: another example of secondary doctrine in the methodology section is the corporate worship style. Uh, you know, are they singing contemporary songs? Are they singing just hymns? Do they have corporate prayer as a part of their worship service, or is there no corporate element of prayer time? A variety of things fit into there. And then, of course, the methods of baptism, communion, evangelism, giving— In the primary column, we have the necessity of each of these things. You must believe that baptism is necessary. The observance of the Lord's table is necessary. So is evangelism and giving. But the methods for all of those things are secondary. Mm -hmm. Some people might uh, sprinkle or pour instead of immersing for baptism. Some people might sprinkle babies. Some people might immerse babies before they're hauled off to prison. Uh, <laughs> so, um, communion could be once a month, could be every week, could be once a quarter. Uh, I I guess there, it could be rarer than once a quarter. But why would you even do that? Could there be are wine, just different methods for juice. that. That's yeah. true. Yeah, could be grape juice, could be wine. Yeah, could be diet coke and crackers.
1: <laughs> we sha not Yeah, we shouldn't get into that today. If
0: if you're a new listener, everything that we don't like uh, to talk about in the moment, we just say a different episode, and then we never get to it. Um, There are different ways to evangelize. There are different ways to give, of course, um, not just individually how you're going to give as a family or as a a single person, but also how the church is going to collect that. Mm -hmm. Do they pass the plate? Do they have a box in the back? Do they have some other method? Um, And then finally, uh, ministry qualifications, can vary from ministry to ministry and how they define those qualifications for ministry. Now this isn't talking about gender roles. So like, Oh, it's secondary. If a woman is a pastor, we actually don't believe that. We think it's quite clear Mm -hmm. um, that uh, it's a primary issue that only men are to be pastors and elders. Um, But when it comes to the finer points of that, for instance, uh, can a divorced man be an elder? Can a divorced and remarried man be an elder? Uh, you know, what does it mean that he manages his own household well? What does it mean this? What does it mean that? Th- those things can all vary, and uh, we we give each other space for that.
1: Mm-hmm. Very good. So that's the secondary column, and we have one column left, doubtful things.
0: We've been going for a while. We'll yeah. do this in under an hour. We can
1: do it. Yes. Um, you want to introduce this one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, conscience matters that affect friendships. We should say that doubtful things. That terminology comes from the New King James version of Romans chapter fourteen. So, if you were to to read Romans fourteen one, I believe in uh, the New King James, that's where that phrase "doubtful things" comes from. It's different different translations render that phrase differently. So, you're not going to see it in every translation, like ESV or. NASB, but it's in the New yeah, King the, James. So
0: in the New American Standard, it says opinions. Mm. So um, opinions, doubtful things, it, things that are just left up to the individual. Yeah.
1: So that's why the the subheading underneath that is conscience matters that affect friendships. Now, we again, we, primary doctrine, truth that affects fellowship, who you recognize as a brother in Christ. Secondary is convictions that affect ministry, who you're going to lock arms with in, in, in membership and in, in joint ministry ventures, etc. Doubtful things, conscience matters that affect friendships. And the definition here is that these issues are to be discerned individually as the Spirit will bind and loose Christian consciences differently. These are matters of wisdom and foolishness. They are not inherently right and or wrong. Yes. Yeah, I'm in the middle of
0: writing a new article for my website on jeremyhoward.net, and it's about Romans 14, which is the clearest chapter on these issues. And I love that Romans 14.3, it uh, says this, the one who eats, meaning uh, the non-vegetarian— the non-vegetarian is not to regard with contempt the vegetarian, and the vegetarian is not to judge the non-vegetarian, for God has accepted him. I love that phrase, God has accepted him. And that's really the heart of all of these issues, is that as Christians, we have different conscience levels and tolerances for different things that is God-ordained, this Holy Spirit in us, working in us, leading us, guiding us, and we are to live our lives as accepted individuals, Mm -hmm. those who have been accepted by God, and none of these things can affect that at all. Uh, So we arrive at different, different conclusions on this, so what? God has accepted both of us, and we are both right because we are listening to our conscience as God has shaped it, and we're living out of faith.
1: Yes. And we recognize that matters of conscience, these things can change. You know, your viewpoint on these things can change, and that doesn't affect. Your justification before God, right? It doesn't affect your standing before God. And, and secondary, you can change your viewpoint on secondary doctrine right. as well. Um, but as as it pertains to doubtful things, you know, there's going to be things that may maybe bother your conscience at different points in lives, and and you think you ought not to do those things. But then later on, either maybe perhaps you become more informed, you learn more things, or you just are are strengthened uh, in your spiritual walk. Those things don't bother you anymore, and you're you're free to engage in those things. Um, yeah. If
0: you think of it like, um, like a thin plastic ruler that you have in your hand and you can, you're like swatting it back and forth. The primary doctrine is up there underneath your fingers. You're holding on tight to it and it doesn't move at all. Uh, secondary doctrine is maybe out farther, extended farther, and it, it moves a little bit, um, you know, you might change, you might develop, you might evolve in your thinking. And then doubtful things or opinions are all the way out on the end. It's the part that's moving the most because you have the most freedom there. And as you live your life and gain wisdom and understand things more, you're just going to be changing Mm. more in these issues. So um, primary doctrine doesn't move, but as you extend out from there, uh, things shift
1: more and more uh, as you grow. And we do want to say that we're not necessarily, we're not trying to communicate that these things don't matter to the Christian, right? That just because it's a doubtful thing or a conscience matter, it doesn't mean that it, it has no impact upon your spiritual life whatsoever. It most certainly can, especially if you are violating your conscience. If your conscience mm-hmm. says one thing, but you're looking at this chart and saying, well, this is a, this is a doubtful thing, this is a, a conscience issue, then or it's a third-column thing, I, then I don't have to listen to my conscience, <laughs> You're violating the very principle of the de- of this column. That you show up to a
0: small group meeting and there the guys are cracking beers, and you have never felt comfortable with it. But you say, uh you know, it's just a conscience issue, and it's not inherently right or wrong. And even though you know, I I really don't think this is right. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, yep. Whatever's not done from faith is sin. sin.
1: Yes. Yep. That's where the principle in this column says to obey your God-given conscience. Don't cause others to stumble and be wise. And that issue of wisdom and foolishness is so critical. Even though these things are not inherently right or wrong, they can be incredibly foolish to engage in some of these things, or they could be perfectly wise options for you. But you must be considering them carefully through a biblical worldview, again, that that line across that top, primary doctrines should not be violated by other doctrines. These objective truths inform and limit convictions and conscience matter. So we should be looking at everything in this Doubtful Things column through the lens of primary and secondary doctrine, and it should inform how we make decisions regarding some of the things in this column.
0: The references that we have for this are, are pretty plentiful. There are so many places we could go for this in the Bible, but we start with Proverbs 9.10, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We approach our life by fearing God and seeking after the knowledge He grants us. Uh, that is where we need to start with our opinions on these doubtful things. And the New Testament has a lot to say about it. So we just humbly submit to what scripture says, and we listen to uh, wise counsel, and we're led by the Spirit. And you cannot be wrong on your opinion of these things. You can only be wrong if you go against your conscience
1: on these things. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, lots of things listed here. should we list them all or just a few of them
1: I mean this this list is the thing you know, when we talk about lists not being exhaustive, this one I think is the <laughs> most in that category where it's going to change according to cultural landscape about what even yeah. is belongs in that column but there's there's so many things. Uh, we could list a few of them off. I mean we already talked about alcohol, Bible translations, uh, holidays, um, personal finances. Politics, schooling, yeah. social networks. Well,
0: what about the new one we added? Uh, I think, well, there's two. We actually moved Bible translations yeah. to this column. Mm-hmm. It was secondary, and it fits better uh, in the Doubtful Things column yes. for a few reasons. But we added personal health care decisions. You want to touch on that one?
1: Yeah. I mean, how, how are you going to approach, well, for one thing, health insurance? Are you going to have a standard health insurance thing? Are you going to, you know... Uh, I'm a, I think we're both a part of Samaritan Ministries, actually, a different we are. different uh, plans within Samaritan. Uh, not a sponsor. Not a sponsor <laughs> yet. yet. <laughs> there you go. Um, but so our, our health care is, is paid for uh, through, through different means than standard, standard health insurance. But then there's also the ever so tricky issues surrounding things like Vaccinations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like the voice you used for that. <laughs> yes, and vaccine. Are you going to get that Rona vaccine? I am not.
0: <laughs>
1: At least not this year, huh? Yeah, I, I, I don't foresee uh, something, <laughs> something uh, dramatic would have to happen. I think for me to change my, uh, my approach to that, mm-hmm. but or, or even uh, you know, it's not just uh, limited to
0: vaccines when it comes mm-hmm. to receiving healthcare. It's also uh, issues like, um. Permanent birth control methods, yes. or, uh, you know, say you've got some sort of disease and it's expected that you would get chemo or something like that uh, to fight cancer, and you decide, no, I'm not going to do that. We recognize this is a third column issue. It's up to the individual to decide that based on his or her conscience. And um, we
1: should say yeah. that, again, wisdom and foolishness comes into play with this, especially when yes. we're talking about something that is so critical as to our health. We ought to be seeking to understand things, We looking at all the healthcare things through a biblical lens and a biblical worldview, making sure that there, if there are ethical concerns with whatever healthcare decision that we are pursuing, that we're aware of that and making decisions in light of that. Yeah. but once those things are are understood and dealt with where you go and what decisions you make after that we are giving that there is that freedom there of conscience so
0: Yes. And there's really not room for this on the chart. That's why I'm writing an article about it on my website right now. But these doubtful things are really just the tension between faith and stewardship. Mm. It's it's really living in that tension. That's the paradigm or the paradox rather of the Christian life. Uh, So you take the health, personal healthcare decisions, like the chemo thing, you'll have people saying, well, God has called you to be a steward of your body and you're responsible to use what's at your disposal to take care of yourself. And maybe that person is just saying, look, I'm, I'm going to live by faith in this way. I'm not going to try to have this manipulative, synthetic system uh, come in and and interrupt the process, but God will take care of me. And if he takes me home, he takes me home. I'm going to live by faith that way. Or- and if he chooses to do that soon or if he takes a long time uh, and from our perspective, that's up to him. And so you've got this tension where you have voices on both sides, and we, every decision we make in the Christian life revolves around those two tensions or that one singular tension mm-hmm. from those two aspects. And um, what we have to realize is that God has accepted you. Listen to your conscience. Get counsel. Seek to be wise. But at the end of the day, pull the trigger, and God has accepted you. He will guide you through it, and you don't need to live in fear of. Oh no, I made the wrong choice. When it comes to these types of things, um, as long as you're seeking to honor Him and all that you're doing, He will see you through it.
1: Amen. Now we said that uh, you know at opening this this column, the subheading at the top of the of the column says, "Conscience matters that affect friendships." Hmm. this is going to affect friendships you know when when you have differences of opinions on things of that fit within this category it's just naturally going to affect how you interact with with your friends you may be members of the same church but if you've got a different viewpoint on an issue like alcohol some of the social functions that you would attend together are, are going to be different Right? Someone mm-hmm. might be more comfortable attending a social function at a bar, per se, while another believer may not be comfortable. Well, that, that's mm-hmm. going to affect that friendship because you're not going to be able to attend that same social function in good conscience. And so it does have yes. that kind of effect, even if you are still members in good standing at the same church.
0: Yes, uh, politics is in here. Mm. That's one that can really mess up uh, (laughs) friendships. Um, Personality, you know, just a real general term, personality. Uh, We have personality differences. There are things that, if they're sinful, we need to change. Those are objective truths that we need to submit to. But if they're not sinful, maybe we just find someone annoying. And you know what? It's okay. Uh, (laughs) Don't sin against that person. It's okay that you're not best friends with that person. And,
1: And we're just, there's freedom in these things. Yes. And we're not saying that these things necessarily have to, right, they don't have to create unnecessary friction in your relationship. You may just understand, okay, we have a difference of opinion here, and you agree to disagree, but it is going to affect how close you are together. Yes. Okay, well.
0: Whoa. I just moved my webcam on accident.
1: (laughs) And my family is here visiting. Ken, you wrap this up. i got to go get the front door. Okay. Well, we do thank everybody for listening, and we are just so delighted for you to be joining us again for this Season 3. We have so many exciting things coming, as we mentioned before, lots of exciting interviews coming. And we want more people to be exposed to this information, to some of the interviews that we have coming. And the best way for them to get it is if you share it. If you would share this on your social media platforms, if you would send it to someone like, you know what, I thought this was helpful, and send it to one person that you thought, uh, would be helpful for them to hear this. If you would go on to Apple Podcasts and give us that rating, give us that review, it would help us out so much. Uh, we had one review come in that... Uh Honestly, kind of made our heads feel a little bit bigger than it should be, probably. But it it was just so nice to see. It says, I strongly recommend this podcast. I've listened listened to every episode of Do Theology, some of them multiple times. The Primary, Secondary, and Doubtful Things podcast referencing the sheet that Jeremy put together has been extremely helpful, not only for myself, but also when trying to minister to others. And that's what we want this show to be about. We want it to be helpful for you personally in your life, and we want it to be helpful as you minister to others, as you engage with other people on these things. We want this to be a resource. So thank you for that review, Mitch. We are so very appreciative of it. And yeah, until next time, Theology.
0: So basically, that means. Did you hear that loud thud? I heard something. There's
1: a ghost in your office.
0: That's uh, not likely.